you would remain standing and open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12 as we continue with our apocalyptic Christmas. Revelation 12, we'll read the whole chapter. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head, a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant, was crying out with birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon, with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness, for she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war rose, arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil. And Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. They have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they have loved not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. The word of the Lord. Let's definitely ask for help. Father, help us as we consider your word this morning. Lord, may we, may we see you 
Jesus, high and lifted up. May we rightly see ourselves and your church in this world, the hope that we have in you. Lord, prevent us from lying to ourselves this season about who you are and what you're about in the world. Shape us, mold us more and more into your image, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. May be seated. What in the world? We come again to this apocalypse. It's craziness at the end of our Bibles. There's tons of layers and layers of depth and meaning. Um, I had David send me um, Greg Beal's commentary on this section. Just on this section, it was 69 pages of text. There's no way we're going to unpack all of that. What I want us to see, though, this morning are some of these same continued themes that have gone through. And I'm, I'm trying to, again, Christmas and Revelation, I'm trying to set the tiny baby laid in a manger. Right? The, this gorgeous announcement to the shepherds that we wonderfully heard about. I'm trying to set that aside side by side with the apocalyptic reality of what's going on. Themes of sadness are in the text today. Persecution, violence, death are set against the power and glory and beauty of our sovereign Lord Jesus Christ who is over all creation. Today's text has many of those same themes woven into it. We're trying to overlay these things that we just read, Revelation 12, which is kind of a heart center. There's a lot going on in it that um, you can learn a lot about the whole book of Revelation just in this chapter. But we're we're laying that side by side with the narrative of Jesus' birth. So again, I want to read to you, this is Matthew 2. Then... Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled the word that was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, a voice was heard in Ramah, a weeping, a loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. I think sometimes um, this sentiment that we have towards Christmas kind of keeps us from looking at the hard parts. I mean, there was an attempted genocide because this madman... This dragon, if you will, was wanting to wipe out the Messiah and willing to kill all the two-year-olds. Could you imagine that? Two-year-old males? Just all of them in a whole community wiped out. Eugene Peterson in his book, Reverse Thunder, says, says it way better than I can. He captures, just listen to this quote. It is John's spirit-appointed task to supplement the work of Matthew and Luke 
so that the nativity cannot be sentimentalized into a coziness nor domesticated into worldliness. This is not the nativity story we we grew up with, but it is the nativity story all the same. Jesus' birth excites more than wonder. It excites evil. Evil knows this birth means its absolute destruction, end quote. I love that he points this out because I'm guilty of these things. I'm guilty of the coziness of Christmas. I love it. But Revelation stands to tell us, hey, this is a, this is a violent situation. It's terrifying. It's horrifying. Our death is on the, the line and Christ comes into that. And we have a very real enemy in pursuit of him and pursuit of us. Advent happens. We discuss it. It happens because the whole world is off center. Because of sin. Because of a holy God. That's why we even celebrate Advent. And then the other thing uh, that he says is domesticated into worldliness. I love that. Some of us might not be cozy, but this domesticated into worldliness. I asked a question two weeks ago, I think, do you believe that we just, we, we simply live in a material world? I think that's a fair question. For, it is for me. You're like, well, you're the pastor. Well, I have to consider these things for myself. Do I actually believe that there's a spiritual reality going on that's much, much bigger and vaster than me? The apocalypse doesn't allow for anything else. It says you have to do that. You have to view these things that you want to keep as cute and beautiful and this child in the manger, no, you have to think of him in cosmic ways. He is the cosmic king of glory. Before we get into this chapter, I would like to read one verse from the end of 11 that I think is helpful in framing it. It says this, Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within its temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, an earthquake and heavy hail. The framing of the events in chapter 12 are found in the temple where God dwells with man. He sees the Ark of the Covenant built by God's instructions in the Exodus. Here's what what Christmas is, is all about. Here's what's going on at Advent. All of that, all the imagery loaded into all that goes on in the Exodus has arrived in Jesus. That's Revelation 12. I know that sounds crazy, but all of that imagery is here. It's right here. Because of God's covenant promises... He, he, he is keeping those promises in the person and work of Christ. All of this and more is going, is going on. It's, it's, the setting is huge. Lightning and, and thunder. Uh, it's, it's loud and shaky and it feels utterly out of control. That is the backdrop to our text. Three points today. The people of Advent, 
the plot of Advent, and finally the progression of Advent. First, the people who is involved in the Advent of our Lord. In this first section, we have these two characters that dominate the vision. The first is a woman and then a dragon. Isn't that great? We get to talk about dragons at Christmas. First, who is the woman? Verses 1 and 2. A woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Who in the world is this? Dressed like the sun? Standing on the moon with a a crown of 12 stars on her head? There's tons of biblical imagery. This is loaded and rich. It, It reminds us of Eve in the garden. Of God's promises in Genesis 3 that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. If you, if you reflect on your whole Bible for a minute, this is very significant that here at the height of Revelation, we have this glorious woman with creational imagery. right? The sun to rule by day and the night, the, the moon by night and the stars. It, it's creational language. God tells a barren and aging Abraham and Sarah to count the stars of heaven and the sand on the seashore to see all their descendants. Isaiah 54, sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Genesis 37, Joseph's vision there is of 12 stars. Who are the 12 tribes of Israel, God's people? Ephesians 5, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. All that imagery says that God's people are the woman. I could go on and on and on. It's the people of God. The people of God. The drumbeat in Scripture from Old to New Testament is this. The woman is God's people, His beloved and chosen bride. The first sign doesn't center on the woman, but on the reality that she's pregnant. God's people is pregnant. That's why we sang, we open the song joy, with the song Joy to the World. That's why. This pregnant woman. The world is heaving in pain, and yet that heaving in pain, into that comes a son. A child is born. God himself will come to his people to deliver them. And he's coming into the world through his people to keep all of his covenant promises. He's coming into the world to fulfill what he said he would do. The woman isn't the only character involved. I wish the story just ended right there. That would be a great chapter 12. But then there's this dragon. Notice 3 and 4. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And on his heads, seven diadems. Again, imagery. 
comes, it stretches all the way back to the garden. If you're going to understand these symbols, you can't just isolate them. You have to think all of Scripture. Do you remember in the garden there was a serpent that was there? We see this imagery throughout the Scriptures. A serpent is in the garden. And it grows across the pages of Scripture, including the descriptions. Go back and read it if you want Goliath's armor. He's scaly. He's huge. He's scary. And he's defying the king. And he, he looks like a, a big dragon. Okay, this is the other character. The dragon in Revelation 12 is super scary. He's super smart. Right? Heads, power, um, diadems, um, his ability, his beauty. Um, uh, the descriptions are vast. The emphasis across the pages of Scripture that go with this um, scaly dragon kind of image is hatred of the people of God. Hatred of God and His laws. Hatred that God is even who He is. And utter defiance against Him and against any that belong to Him. This dragon is evil. Notice what the dragon is doing. It's very sinister. It's waiting around near the woman who's in agony until the child comes so that it can kill and eat it. It's a terrible scene. You're like, man, why are we doing this at Christmas time? We should be talking about Luke 2. No, we should be talking about this. This is why He came into the world. This is why God became man. This is why we, we think it's gorgeous that He was laid in a manger, humble at birth. All that stuff is true, but it's also cosmic. It's also bigger than you can wrap your mind around. That's why this language is trying to put words on exactly what is going on in the gospel. It's huge. We have a vast enemy that wants nothing but our destruction. But it doesn't, it doesn't work. She gave birth to a male child, one who will rule all the nations and with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to His throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared for her by God. So here's what's going on. As, as often happens in in time, in Revelation, things get jammed together or they get spread apart. For this, they get jammed together. This is Jesus. The one who is coming from God, through the people of God, to them. He comes into the world. He is born. He lives perfect life. He dies to, to conquer death and hell. He, he rises again in glorious ascension to, back to the Father. All of that is going on right here, but it's, it's compressed. It's um, squeezed together. This is God's time, not, not ours. Remember our New Testament reading that I read earlier. Herod is furious and utterly threatened by this baby boy. He sends his soldiers. So, so you see the fury of the dragon in our text? His tail swipes and he, he takes out a third of the stars. You see it in Herod. So angry that people, 
People will die because of Jesus being born into the world. Lots of people are going to die. That quote I read earlier, this, this, the birth of Christ doesn't, shouldn't just incite coziness. It also incites evil. Notice the imagery again. Um, a woman with a baby versus a dragon whose tail swipes away these stars. What chance does a boy have against a dragon? A baby, a child, against a dragon whose tail can, can wipe stars out of the cosmos. That's the image of Christmas. That's what we're meant to see. That's what's going on. Who is this baby in the manger? He's here to conquer death and hell and Satan. He's here to, do, he's here to conquer the scariest thing that could ever exist. He's here to do cosmic work. He's here to confront sin and evil and hell. He's here to love us. What chance does a little child have against a dragon? And the answer in Advent is, he's done it. He's done it. He's come into the world. He's here. We've been freed from bondage. And and then our, our text, though, says that that's not the end of the story. It's not just the birth of the child. We go to the plot of Advent in 7 through 12. But really, this is the plot of all human history. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver, of the whole world was thrown down to earth. He and his angels were thrown down with him. John sees a massive heavenly war. A little child is being born into the world. Satan hates that. Division in heaven. Fight the accuser. What we heard earlier is what Satan loves to do incessantly before the Father. Accuse, 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 accuse. Until Christ accomplishes his work. And then there's no more accusations for anyone who is in Christ. What better news can there be for us during this season? That God's plan will never ever fail. It might feel like it. Is there going to be hardship for Christians? Yes, actually that's why I think the book of Revelation exists. I think it exists for people who know what hardship actually is, who've faced it, who've, who've experienced it as the people of God together collectively, and Revelation is here as a comfort to them. He wins. He wins. People of God flee for their lives when he is cast down. So when you see the abomination of desolation, Jesus talks about all this stuff that happened in real time. When you see him stand in the, in the holy place, let the reader understand, Jesus says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, run, get away. In some ways, the people of God, his church, we have been on the run ever since. Listen, you must know by now that the world does not like 
Christians. As we've seen over and over again, Advent begins with this war, a cosmic war is raging, the nations are raging, according to Psalm 2, the dragon is let loose on the earth, and yet there we are, the people of God, the church, believers in the Lord Jesus, sustained by the Holy Spirit. As verse 9 says, heavenly conflict has come now to earth. The same rage that the enemy has against God in heaven, he has against his people on earth. Verses 10 and 12 sit at the very heart and center of this text. I'm going to read them to you again. It shifts from a vision. And then verse 10, it says, I heard. So pay attention. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying this. Now the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God and they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony for they have not loved their lives even to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath because he knows that his time is short. There's so much that can be said about this, but what sits at the very heart and center of the defeat of our enemy is this this one who came into the world. A lamb is there. Again, it just shows up. A a lamb who was slain for us. Shows up at this cosmic level. All things, heaven and earth, you, you find a lamb. It's Christ. Christ is at the center of all things, of all of human history. And there he is watching over and protecting his people, the church. But it says, it also warns, hey, it's not, it's going to be wildly uncomfortable. This is not going to be a great ride for you, church. This this scene is all laid out with the, the woman versus the dragon, this child king who will rule with the rod of iron. Salvation, power, kingdom, God, all authority. Listen to Colossians 2. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to his cross, and then it says this. So all of that is the the glorious news of the gospel. All of our sin nailed to a cross in Christ. And then, but then it says it accomplishes something. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. He put them to shame. He destroyed, he destroyed our enemies by coming to die for us. Hebrews 2, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, through his death, the death of Christ, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. How do we overcome the accuser? What chance do we have against this ancient dragon? Believers overcome death because the accuser is defeated and cast down by the work of Christ. 
It's not because we're so strong. It's because of the work of Christ. Believers overcome death and hell because of the word of their testimony. It talks about this witness going out. How is this news going to spread to others? It's going to be through the testimony of God's people. Believers live on because they don't love their lives more than Jesus. It says it in our text. They, they hold on. And um, this is where the term martyr comes from. Why in church history, all these martyrs, it's because they love Christ more than their own lives. And when it came down to it, they were willing. And martyr is just the word witness. That's all it is. Witnesses, believers overcome as we shift our focus away from ourselves and focus on heaven and the defeat of our enemies when we rejoice these heavenly realities, when we celebrate the heavenly realities more than the earthly, when we're more excited about Him than we are these things. Believers overcome as we realize that the devil and all of his hosts are on a limited timetable that makes Him furious, makes Him more dangerous, but we know His time is limited and so does He. This portion of Revelation 12 reminds me of um, Narnia when um, Aslan is in, in, in the, he comes on the scene, but you haven't really seen him yet, but everything starts melting. You know what I'm talking about? You remember that part of the book? It's fantastic. Every, everything's melting and everything is going away. It's changing. It's slow. It's not all at once. But it's like things are thawing. Things are right again. Because Christ has overcome, we can have assurance of our salvation. We can know, church, that He wins, that Satan loses, and death will be no more. Because of this reality that we read in Revelation 12, we're being invited into the power of our witness, and we're being encouraged to think about it. Does it matter that we share Christ with others, with your own self? When is the last time you told yourself the gospel, and you reminded your own heart of these truths. That though you deserve death, you get life in Christ. You're the first person you're supposed to be witnessing to. Then witness to your neighbor, to your co-workers. But to, to do that, you have to, you have to be believing the gospel for yourself. Because, of, because Christ has come, we are invited to rejoice even while on earth. We are invited to do this. We are invited to worship. Because of Advent, this is the story of this trajectory, because Christ has come, we, we are called to worship Him. Because Christ has come, believers all over the world are to take comfort, even though they face persecution. Listen, the American church is incredibly blessed. But there are other places on earth, and you should take time to read about them the voice of the martyrs. There's tons of good publications out there that give more than just like numbers. They give names. They give situations that are going on. Please read about those brothers and sisters even losing their life. They would read this in a totally different way than we are. They would see themselves in the text in ways that we simply don't because we're not being killed for our faith.
child of God, you're a part of God's plan. You're a part of his creation. And he came in Christ to redeem you. So we go from the people of Advent to the plot. And lastly, this progression. Where is this all going? We know that Jesus is, has won. He's ascended into heaven. The enemy's been cast down. He can no longer incessantly accuse the church. But it doesn't mean that he's done. In verse 13, we see that he's cast down. But he pursues the woman. Remember, the woman is the people of God. This is, this is John in his revelation, telling us, hey, it's not going to go well. He's coming for you, church. He's coming for you, people of God. He hates the church. Satan hates believers in Christ. He hates the gospel. He hates the advent. He hates all of it. And if you're in Christ, he hates you. Notice God does not abandon his people, verse 14, but the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. Wings of eagles are used again and again in scripture to to point out God's saving and rescuing strength. She's gone. I like to think that's why Tolkien used them, the the eagles where he did in, in his writing. Back and forth, back and forth, Satan could not destroy the child, though he tried. Herod could not kill Jesus. Herod, being a tool of Satan, failed. <clears throat> we have, again, we have a furious enemy who hates us, church. He pours out water out of his mouth to destroy the woman, and God spares the woman. She's able to flee. God spares time and time again that the people of God will never be utterly undone. We will certainly be persecuted, but we will be upheld. This last statement about Satan in this chapter is he's standing on the sand of the sea. In the Jewish mind, this is not a great image. Many hated the sea. The sea is a terrifying place. For, for their mind. And here he is in all his fury with the sea raging. And that's where chapter 12 ends. Obviously it's not the end of this. Satan will face ultimate defeat. The story of Christmas. Because Christ has come. Our salvation is secure. The story of Christmas looks cute and cuddly, and that's not all bad. I love twinkle lights. I don't even like to turn mine off. They're great, but there's more going on. We're invited into this vast and cosmic story of God coming to do something about our sin. The death sentence that we're under is coming to give us life, and he promises that we as the church are going to be persecuted. He's he's promising that it's not going to be easy. God conquering death and hell and the curse to come and get us out. His cosmic rescue plan. I think this image that we have, this parting image of the woman going into the wilderness, is a new exodus. I think we're invited to see this whole chapter in light of the Exodus. Here we are as the people of God, having been delivered out of 
Pharaoh's hand, but we're not immediately home yet. Right? We walk around in the desert. He's, he's saying, I know that you're in the desert. I'm with you. I'm giving you the wings of eagles. The, the flood that's coming your way, I'll swallow it up. But he knows, he's telling us, I know you're not home yet. You're not home. And child of God, we've talked about this for months. We're not home yet. We're exiles. We're waiting. And in the meantime, he's with us. That's what Revelation 12 is telling us. And this, the same author, John, wrote this when he was a bit younger. And this helped, this helped me kind of bring things back into focus because this, this, this is craziness. Revelation 12 is crazy. It's beautiful. It's vast. Listen to what John wrote when he was younger. He says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Take heart, brother and sister. The light is still shining. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Advent. We pray that we would see it rightly in these cosmic ways that we're invited to view all things. Lord, though we are not yet home, may we live in light of the light. May we be those who would give witness to you, to our own heart, to our neighbor, to those who are around us. Lord, we're so thankful for these images. Would you grow us by them? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.